We also know that they too have been through some tough times, some deep water, so to speak, just as we have. But they seem to have handled it sometimes a little better than we do. And uh, perhaps it's because their joy is deeper. They seem to have found the secret of being a joyful Christian. James talks about that in the book of James. In the first, second verse, in the first chapter, he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith will produce endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Joy. It, it runs sometimes pretty deep, doesn't it? We need that when we're going through tough times. Well, I know of such a person that had come to my mind as I was preparing this message. He attended Bible. We had both attended Bible college together. We were in our 30s at that time, and he just retired. He's 65. He lives down in the Sanders, Idaho area where we had our first church. In fact, we were there five years, and, uh, and then he took over, and I think he took that pastorate for seven years after we left. But he went to Bible college because he wanted to be a missionary. Him and his wife both did. They didn't have any children at that time. They were just married. They had their sights set on going to the Philippines. As two years went by, the missionary uh, organization that he was with, because Vern had not raised, they had not raised their deputation, enough money to support them, they said they felt that the Lord had shut the door on that. I know that was a disappointment. I wasn't in their home at that time, and he never talked too much about it after that, but you know, that was a disappointment to him, but he seemed to handle it quite well. He farmed for a living. In fact, he, uh, he's farmed all, all his life, more or less. Still does a little bit of it, but he's pretty well farmed it all out to other people. He, uh, he's driven uh, well-used cars all his life, as far as I ever knew him, as uh, long as I've ever known him. Well-used cars. He farmed with old farm machinery. His brother had eight-wheelers farming down there in the Palouse country. And uh, Vern, he had a couple of 1930s D6 cats that he farmed with. And he had a lot of old machinery. It was always gluing it together. But he went by with it. He got by with it. But his brother, while we were pastoring down there, he went bankrupt. He was just had a million dollars in debt. And the one time the farm was completely paid off. But Vern's farm, he just kept on going. And he did a good job. And I think a lot of it was because he got by with what he had. He lived in an old farmhouse and uh, with some well-used furniture. In fact, he told me, I was just, Lou and I were just down there a few weeks ago, and he says, I finally bought a new couch. That old one was looking pretty rough, and it was. As far as I know, he only had one suit to his name all those years that he was down there that I knew him. He and his wife both had five children, of course, and, and uh, they homeschooled those, those kids. His health hasn't always been the best. He suffers from severe asthma condition at times. It's worse than others, perhaps maybe from all the chemicals that he handled while he was farming. And on top of everything, his oldest son, who was, I believe, 28 or 29 at the time, was going down Highway 95 there past 10, said, coming home from work. I believe he was 28, 29 years old. He, uh, a guy came over in his lane and hit him head on and killed him. So, Vern's been through some tough times. And just recently, when we were down there, he was telling me about some of his Christian in-laws, his wife's siblings, had shunned him and his wife because of some 
something uh, that was misinterpreted that he had said, and he was trying to get that straightened out. And yet, Vern is one of the most joyful Christians that I've ever been around. Uh, He's just a real blessing to me. What's his secret? Why is he a blessing to me and other folks? It's, I think it's begin with, it was Vern gave his entire life to the Lord Jesus Christ in 1974, as he testified. Everything, he pulled out all stops. And, and, but there's more to the secret, his secret of joy than that. He's been a vibrant, growing Christian for some 40 years now because he's made a habit of reading God's word daily, he's told me several times, and then doing what it tells him to do. And that's what James wants to talk to us about today. Uh, being, he says, be proof, uh, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude or deceive themselves. In chapter 1, verse 22, where we'll pick it up. He tells us in very simple terms that how we too can be radiant, joyful Christians and a blessing to others. So let's stand as we read this portion of Scripture, James chapter 1, verse 22. We'll pick it up here uh, today. 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at the natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of a person he was. Verse 25. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. world, world excuse me. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word as usual, Lord. A challenge, it's always a challenge, and especially when I read this book of James, at least it is to me. But Father, uh, let us not let it come in one ear and out the other, Lord. Let's uh, let it penetrate our hearts today. Speak to each person here, as Dan Christian's already mentioned, kind of set aside all the things that have distracted us this morning. Maybe something the neighbor said, maybe something our wife or husband said that kind of threw us off track, or something the kids did. We just pray, God, you set that all aside. We come here today to hear from you. So, Father, I just pray that you'll speak through me to each person whom you love so much you died for them and us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated, folks. We've heard it many times since Pastor Dan's been here as pastor. He seems to mention it uh, not only as Bible studies, but here from the pulpit too, that we are a blessed people. And I have to agree 100%. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think, when he says that, you are a blessed people. But we are. The question I think that each of us have to answer today that I would like to have answered is, are you a blessing then to others? Are you a blessing to others? Years ago, there was a man 
who gave a daily devotional on KMBI radio station. Maybe you picked it up too. I think his name was Bob Cook at the time. And he always ended his devotional time, a little 10, 15-minute shot on the radio. I used to listen to it while I was cleaning the barn after I milked the cows. And uh, he'd always end it. He says, walk with the king today and be a blessing. Be a blessing. I, I like that. It stuck with me all these years. That's been quite a few years ago. That was in the 70s. Now, most of us are familiar with Genesis chapter uh, 12, with when Abraham got his commission, so to speak, from God as to what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to leave his country <clears throat> and leave his uh, relatives and to go into a country that the Lord would show him. And, of course, eventually that was the promised land. You know the story. But a lot of times we look at that uh, Genesis 12 and we uh, overlook a, a, just a one verse here that I would like to point out. It's Genesis 12, verse 1. I read it here. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. We're familiar with that. Verse 2. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. This is the part I want to see that a lot of times we slide over. And so you shall be a blessing. See that? I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, he said. But I'll make you a blessing. You shall be a blessing. Excuse me. Now, a person who is blessed, to me, should be a blessing to others. Folks, never before in the history of the U.S. have we had such a saturation of God's word. It's It's at our fingertips every time we turn around. I don't know about you, but I've got several Bibles at home, several translations, but most people have at least two or three Bibles at home. It's there, there, the Word of God. We hear the Word of God through our church Sunday after Sunday. In Bible studies, we study the Word of God through TV preaching, through radio sermons, through evangelists, through all kinds of Christian literature, some good books uh, written on perhaps on a book in the Bible or maybe just a, a phrase or just a, a paragraph or a, or a sentence in the scripture, but we hear God's word all of the time. And yet Christians today suffer more than ever from the lack of spiritual growth, from malnutrition, so to speak. But why is that? Could it be that many Christians become mere spectators who enjoy listening to the word of God but ignore taking that knowledge and translating it into godly living. Well, James, as usual, doesn't pull any punches here and in this portion of Scripture, and he tells us what separates the joyless Christian, then, from the joyful one who is growing, vibrant, and a blessing. And when I thought about that, I thought about an uh, illustration I read years ago, and I thought it would be fitting gives an, an example of a joyless person. It comes from this book of John Ortberg's book called The Life You've Always Wanted. A farmer had a neighbor, a constant complainer, a wet blanket in the linen closet of life. The farmer decided to impress the man for once in his existence, so he bought the world's greatest hunting dog, trained it thoroughly, and invited his joyless friend to go hunting with him. He showed the neighbor how his dog could stand motionless for an hour and then pick up his scent a mile away. No response, though. 
From the blind, the farmer shot a duck, which landed in the middle of a pond. Upon command, the dog trotted out, walked on the surface of the water, (laughs) retrieved the bird, dropped him at the feet of his master, and he said, what do you think of that? The farmer challenged his neighbor, to which his friend responded, your dog can't swim, can he? We know of people like that, don't we? <laughs> Wet blankets, joyless people. <clears throat> yeah. I believe this whole passage of Scripture today uh, that we heard read comes centers around verse 25 that I read once. And I'd like to read it out of the New Internationals. I thought it was a little interesting. Verse 25 in chapter 1. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law and give, that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. <clears throat> what a promise that is, huh, for us? He will be blessed in what he does if he looks into the word and studies it intently. The word blessed it comes from a Greek word that all means the same. You see it in the Beatitudes and some of the translations. In fact, the Living Bible, it says happy. It could be another word for happy, fortunate, well-off. Or I put joyful because I like to think of it a little deeper than just being happy. Happy is, it just depends on the circumstance at the time. But joyful, joy runs deep. Even when we're sorrowful, we can have joy can crop up in our life, can be there, can be real. But James points out that there's some contrast then between the joyless Christian or the unhappy Christian and the joyful Christian or the happy one, the blessed one. Number one, the joyless Christian is one who listens to God's word but never lives it out by obeying what he's heard. He's accumulated a lot of head knowledge of God's word but never puts it into action. His spiritual head becomes bigger or larger and larger, so to speak, while his spiritual body just wastes away for lack of use. Uh, never seems to grow. And that happens by not putting the truth, a truth from God's word into action. When I uh, was about 12 years of age, my grandmother told me about a a lady who lived next door to her at one time. Grandma said that the lady gave birth to a beautiful baby girl, her only child. And at first, everything seemed normal, Grandma said. But as the months went by, it was apparent that something was wrong. The baby's body did not grow, Grandma told me. Just its head and its hair grew longer. The girl lived to be 18 years of age before she died. But Grandma said that neighbor lady just adored that child. Even though she had to go through the daily routine as if she was caring for a baby, changing diapers, hand-feeding that child. For 18 long years, we could say. It's a sad story, but it was true. And I've heard of such cases since then, similar cases. Uh, Folks, I really think that that's the way a lot of Christians are today who have been born again 
10, 20, 30, or 40 years, or maybe more, whose head is just filled with the knowledge of God's word, but spiritually they never seem to grow, uh, but remain babes in Christ, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And by contrast, then, James says, a joyful Christian, a blessed one, a happy one, whichever you want to say, is one who has heard the truth from God's word and puts it into practice. Verse 22, do what it says here, the NIV. Now, what truth are you fully aware of that you are not putting into practice? Has anything come to your mind? Has God spoken to you about a change that he wants to see in your life that would make you a more mature Christian, a better one? James chapter 4, verse 17, we'll get to one of these years, is uh, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. You know the right thing to do and you're still holding back. James says that's sin. The doer of the word enjoys life at its best. He's a joyful, blessed Christian, and he's a blessing to others. The second thing we hear James mentioned, then the joyless Christian is one who deceives himself. He's just fooling himself. Notice verse 23 and 24 again. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. But once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of a person he was. James uses the mirror here as a symbol for the word of God. He says, anyone who listens to the word of God and does not do what it says is like the person who just takes a quick glance into God's word, sees a reflection of his own soul, and then walks away without doing what it says, without making any changes, positive changes, so to speak. The New American Standard put it this way. He forgets, I don't know if you picked up on that, he forgets what kind of a person he was. He forgets what kind of a person he was. Uh, Why don't we make those changes? Have you ever thought about it? Why don't we? I believe it's because, a lot of times it's because, we're comparing ourselves with other Christians, other people, sometimes other non-Christians we compare ourselves with. If our theology is established by our own standards, we'll always look good. You can bank on it. But we're just deceiving ourselves into thinking that we're okay. I'm not that bad, we say to ourselves. The problem is, we must, when we use our own standards to compare or whatever, ourselves to ourselves or ourselves to others, we're not using God's standard. And by contrast, James says, a joyful, blessed Christian is one who hears or gazes into God's word, the perfect law of liberty, and does not forget what he sees and abides by it, he says in verse 25. He continues to do it. He sees something, he grabs a hold of it, and he says, that's what I've got to work on. That's what I'm going to do. The Christian who looks intently into God's word knows certain things in his or her life must change. Now, most of us Think of obedience to God's word as a bondage. But James says just the opposite is true. 
It brings freedom from bondage. Sin brings bondage, but not obeying what God says to do. Being doers of the word can lead us to freedom in Christ. We must listen closely to what God is saying to each of us and then actively obey. The person whose life is abiding in Christ through obedience to his word is a blessed person. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. You're familiar with that. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Whatever he does, he prospers. He's blessed in whatever he does. When he delight himself in the word of God. So then, what kind of a... Emphasize then, did Jesus uh, put on hearing God's word and doing what it said? Did he agree with James? I think so. Let's take a look. We just heard these kids talk about it this morning, the verse that I had written down here. We verse that Pastor Dan spoke on just a few weeks ago in chapter 11, verse 28 of Luke. Jesus said, remember the lady, as he was speaking to the people, the lady in the crowd said, uh, Uh, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that fed you. And he says, on the contrary, I don't know if he's picked up that, on the contrary, Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Do it. That's what he's saying. And then in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, a few weeks ago, Pastor Dan spoke on it. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do we? Why don't we do what he says? Now, most of us have had x-rays or CT scans or MRIs. I know I've had my share, but, uh, and if you haven't had a lot of them, you probably will if you live long enough. You'll have plenty. Well, God's word is like his x-ray machine. It exposes the inner self of us. And I've always liked this verse here. In fact, it's, it really applies in, just, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit and of both joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God just penetrates us as we read it. In fact, what I learned years ago is a lot better to, ha- to have a person read a verse themselves than to you read it to them. Because the word will speak right through their heart, right down into their heart. It, ooh, I've seen that happen so many times. That's speaking to me. That's the way the word God works. It's his x-ray machine. Exposes our inner self. When we look intently, James says, at God's word, we see our faults. We see the stains. We see the blemishes within. And when we confess those as sins... We will be cleansed. We will be set free from that bondage. First John 1 John 1.9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Freeze us up. Now, James tells us to peer into, look intently into the word of God and then do what it says. And the result will be freedom. Freedom. Thirdly, we see here, then the unhappy or the joyless Christians... Change only outwardly, which is a form of religion. 
Let's face it, folks. When we come to the Lord, the world looks at us as getting religious. Religion. They got religion. They got religion. They're religious people. They don't say they're Christians, usually. They got religion. I've heard a lot of times. Religion has been defined, though, as the outward expression of worship in ritual, rites, and ceremonies. And James says, this type of outward religion may fool some, but in reality, the person is just deceiving his or her self, his own heart. And their religion is worthless. He's a counterfeit Christian. Uh, He has religion, but he's never had a relationship. When I was at 21 years of age, I went to work in a steel fabrication shop in Tigard, Oregon. One of the jobs I had in that shop was to running a multiple punch. It would punch up to eight holes at a time in a beam or a channel iron or a slab of steel or whatever. But it took two guys to run that machine. And uh, <clears throat> the guy that I worked with became quite a close friend of mine. Uh, he just passed away, actually, this last year. But anyway, uh, he also stood up for me. He was my best man when Lou and I got married. And to pass the time away as we worked, we would get into lots of discussions about almost anything and everything you could possibly think of. One day, we got in a discussion of religion. And I made the statement to him that got quite a reaction from him. I told him, I said, uh, I'm a Christian. He laughed. He laughed out loud, you know, and he just kept on laughing. I, I said, what's so funny? He said, well, the way you talk, the language you use, the jokes you tell, he says, and you call yourself a Christian? No way. I was quite offended, to tell you the truth. But looking back, after I did come to the Lord, he was right. I wasn't a Christian at the time. Uh, Neither was he. But he knew what one should act like. Don't kid yourself. There are a lot of people out there who know what a Christian should act like. And the language they should use or not use. Well, anyway, uh, you see, I had the idea at that time that a Christian was one that went to church on Sunday, which I did. Ever since I was knee-high to grasshopper, I can remember going to church. I prayed before meals. I was baptized, confirmed. Uh, Put money in the offering plate. I observed the Sabbath by not working on Sunday. My dad taught me that. You don't work on Sundays. And I went to confession very periodically. Went to communion more than we do here every Sunday. I kept all those religious rites, rituals, and ceremonies of the church that I attended. But I was only deceiving myself, thinking that I was a Christian. My religion was really worthless. I was fooling myself. I hadn't, at that time, had not invited Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior of my life. I did all the other steps, but I hadn't. I hadn't sold out to the Lord. You remember the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, What? You follow my commandments, and he named a few. I kept them. And you never noticed, Jesus didn't call him a liar. And you read some of those commandments, this guy was pretty good, pretty good Joe. He says, I've kept them. One thing you lack, he's a rich young ruler, remember. Sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and come on and follow me. No, he couldn't do it. That would be selling out, 100%. 
I'm afraid, folks, that's where a lot of Christians are today. They haven't quite sold out. They've kept a lot of the rules and regulations and the rituals and the ceremonies, but not pulled out all stops and said, I'm going to go for it and see what the Lord has. But at that time, when I was religious, I had no, I had, uh, I wasn't any better than the heathen. And at the, who never darkened the doors of a church. I was on the same, I couldn't believe it. I was on the same uh, walk as he was. My life would have been eternal damnation, not eternal life through Jesus. Uh, Christianity and religion, folks, are far from being identical. So then James says there's three things that sets a Christian apart from a religious person. Number one, he says a Christian is one who controls his tongue, who bridles his tongue or her tongue. Verse 26. A true Christian is not only judged by his walk, but he's also judged by his talk. We, a lot of times we turn it around or turn the other way around, don't we? But we're judged by our talk. His religion is only outward if his tongue is slanderous, if he's a gossip, if he tells lies and he's got a foul mouth. It's only outward. He's just fooling himself to think he's on the same plane as a Christian. Later, James will cover this subject about the tongue, of course, in chapter 3, if you ever read ahead in James. He's rough on us. Next, we see number two is a Christian then cares for the needy. He visit, to visit the orphans and the widows in their distress, he says in verse 27. The first century orphans and widows had very little means of support. There was no social security checks. There was no welfare. There was no food stamps. There was no insurance policies. There was no pension funds to help them scratch out a living. Most were reduced to begging or selling themselves as slaves. If they, otherwise, they would face starvation. Now, the word visit here in verse 27 has, a, has a, here, it suggests the idea of caring for or looking after. <clears throat> Excuse me. We today as Christians uh, still have an obligation to care for the widows and their children, to look after their needs. <clears throat> when was the last time you invited or visited, excuse me, you have visited a widow or the fatherless child in their distress. Do you notice that? Sure, they've had a lot of stress. Loss of their spouse is bad enough. But what about all these other things? Maybe you could help uh, uh, some need around the house, some re repair. Just uh, yesterday, you know, I thought about this as I, was, I worked on this all week, is that our, our ceilings are 10 feet high. Not my idea, but uh, so you have to get out a pretty good ladder. And my balance is really getting bad, to tell you the truth. And uh, so I get up there, and I've got a, uh, two lights are blown out in the bathroom, so I had to fix them. And I thought, I was pretty bad, but Lou would never be able to do it. <laughs> and that's the way there's a lot of widows or their older folks. They could do some help, maybe, around that house. Just some little simple thing that's bugging them. We could check that once in a while. Maybe the car. Sure, I know I've got the same kind of car, more or less you do. Mine's a little older, but I closed than some. But it, it takes a genius to do anything that's fantastic, anything that needs real work on the car. But you might be able to change the battery huh? or change your oil. Sure, if they can't get the thing started, well, maybe you need a new battery, lady. So whatever. 
maybe there's something that they need uh, a man's perspective on, a widow. And she would, uh, she's having trouble with her, her son. He's getting up in the teenage years and, you know, she said, what, what should I do? You could help her out in that way. Something to do with family. Or maybe if you're a lady, you could come along and say, well, here's what we did. It might not be the best, but you could try that. My mother and my sister became widows within one year of each other. And uh, it was devastating for both of them. When dad died and my brother-in-law died, he died suddenly. But uh, my dad was on a, a kidney machine for the last few years of his life. But anyway, uh, I remember going when I went to the funeral, dad's service, is that he is, uh, mom didn't even, afterwards I talked to mom, how are you going to do this, you know, and she never knew how to balance a checkbook. Dad always took care of that, and, and it worked pretty good while he was alive. But she had no idea where to start. I could help her out, but I was 400 miles away. I was pastoring down at Sanders, Idaho, and uh, so I couldn't stay there and help her. My sister was uh, at the age of 40. I think she was right at 40. She might have been 39. And uh, her husband suddenly died. And she was left with four kids. And a uh, pretty tough little job raising her. And I, I couldn't help her much. Like I say, I was a long ways away. She depended on friends, neighbors, my brother, and a few people that lived closer. And it should be the church helping out. Later on, she did get involved with another church. It really helped her out a lot with these little odds and ends that you run into as a widow. And uh, so care for those who in need, uh, who need our assistance, folks, is one expression of pure and undefiled religion, as James talks about here in verse 27. It's one way of putting God's word into practice, of being a doer of the word. And John, he agrees 100%. First John, you know, we're familiar with that. First John chapter 3, verse 17. Whoever has the world's good, John says, and beholds a brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? It doesn't, is what he's saying. Little children, let us not love in word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Put it to action, is what he's saying here. But there's one last thing that James wants to talk to us about that sets us apart from religious people. He says a Christian exhibits purity in his or her life. Purity. Keep oneself unstained by the world is the way he puts it in verse 27. Now, folks, I don't need to tell you that we live in a sin-stained world, and it's not going to get better. I hate to tell you this. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. But we are to keep ourselves unstained as we're passing through it. And that's not easy sometimes, I will agree. And God expects uh, the believer to walk the fine line of holy living. And to conform to the world is to work, or is to, excuse me, is to walk in disobedience to his, his word. And that will rob us of our joy when we're disobeying God. You don't believe me? Ask David someday. He said it in Psalm 51. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Didn't he? I'm going to tell you, folks, the first thing that will leave us when we sin, when we go against, when we disobey, is joy. It jumps out the window. You can't even fake it. I'm going to tell you, I've tried. 
joy jumps out the window. Restore unto me. Why did he say that? Restore unto me the joy because it left him. Why? Because of his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. So, what are we to do then as Christians? Should we isolate ourselves from the world because it's so corrupt? Should we only associate with other Christians? Should we only work in places with, that employ Christians? If we want to remain unstained by the world, wouldn't that be a lot easier? Wouldn't that be, make more sense? Sure it would. Amen to that. But that's not always the way it can be. Jesus, remember Jesus before he was crucified that we just observed here. He prayed to his father in John chapter 17 on behalf of his followers, his disciples. He said, they, quote, they are not of this world, father. Otherwise, he is saying their lifestyle is different. Their beliefs are different. Their values are not the same as the world. And then he says, my prayer is not that you, Father, take them out of the world, that you protect them from the evil one. My prayer is not for them alone, he says. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me. That's us, folks. That's us. Praise God he prayed for us, too. We need it. And he's still praying for us. He's still interceding for us. We see that in First John. Jesus prayed for each one of us. That we wouldn't be saying. He's saying, hang in there. Working and rubbing elbows with those who have the world's values. And yet, continue to be unstained, unspotted with, from the world, in the world. You've heard it said before, it's an old saying, we're to be in the world, but not of it. This last Mother's Day, <clears throat> excuse me. This last Mother's Day. Well, we were in Portland, and Lou was visiting her mom, and I decided I'd go visit Tom. Tom was another guy that I worked with in the iron shop back in the 60s. Tom was a maintenance man, and that wasn't the same guy that I worked with on the multiple punch. But now Tom's 84 years old. He was on dialysis machine the day I visited him. Kidney failure is not expected to live very long. But I just wanted to tell him once again, how much of an inspiration he was to me all those years. In those days, and he was an example of what a true Christian was. He lived it, I want to tell you. In spite of all the garbage his fellow iron workers gave him. And I wasn't much better. To try to make him stumble in his faith. As far as I knew, or know today... He and a welder by the name we call Shorty at the time were the only born-again believers in that shop of 150 men. It ran 150 pretty right. It was no small little dinky shop. It was pretty good size. <clears throat> they didn't hand out any tracts. They didn't preach to anybody. That I, I never, and I was around them most of the time. You know? They only lived it. I was there only eight years. Or in that iron shop, but they were there for over 30 uh, until they retired. But as long as, as far as I could see, off and on I'd call Tom or visit him, yet they remained unstained by the world. They both kept their faith in those times of testing, in spite of the many temptations daily that they faced. 
that could blow their witness all apart. These guys did everything you could possibly imagine to get these guys to stumble. They would see if they could just get them mad enough to lose their temper, and they'd say, oh, there's a Christian for you. you know? They would show them garbage pictures, you know, anything to get them. They'd say, come on over here, I've got something to show you. It'd be gar- garbage. Or tell them some crude joke just to see if they'd laugh. And they, they told me sometimes they'd bite the inside of their mouth so they wouldn't laugh. They wouldn't give them the joy of laughter. They'd walk away. They both kept the faith, and they were both joyful, blessed Christians who were a blessing to me. And I want to tell you, they influenced a lot of us to come to Jesus after I left. I knew of another welder that came to Christ. He called me up and he said he gave his life. I used to ride with him in the car. His mouth was as bad as mine was in those days. His values were the same as mine. And he came to Christ. He said, and Tom told me, he says, you remember that guy that ran those cutting torches? He had a, not just a hand, not just one cutting torch. He had run a six or eight of them at a time. I made templates later on for him. And uh, he said, you know, would you believe, we call him the Frenchman. He said, would you believe the Frenchman came to Jesus? I said, I would never have believed it. I said, boy, that guy was crude. I said, but he did. Joyful. Now, but how about you? Have you kept yourself unstained by the world? You live in it, but you're not of it. Today, are you a joyful, blessed Christian and a blessing to others? And if so, it's probably because any time you've heard or read a truth in God's word, you lived it. You lived it. You did exactly what it said. A doer of the word is not only blessed in what he does, as James says, but he'll also be a blessing to others. Praise the Lord. That's a goal. I got a little simple song here to sing this morning. And uh, get this thing on. think it's on. I thought about this song as I was preparing this message because it talks about just regular Joes like a lot of us, you know, Uh, a farmer perhaps like Vern that that he just had to keep his nose to grindstone day after day, just farm, Uh, or maybe a welder like Shorty or perhaps uh, a maintenance man, a shop. Uh, somebody that works in an iron shop or somebody that works in everyday job, maybe, maybe works in an office, maybe that's could be you, uh, somebody that's retired, that hits a lot of us, supposed to be more tired than retired. And uh, But are we a blessing? Are we continue to be a blessing to others around us? You know, uh, Bob Richardson was supposed to speak today uh, I don't know. If, I think a lot of you knew that. He was asked the same time I was asked. I was asked to take the first Sunday in, in May, and Bob was asked to do the first one in June, which would have been today. But the Lord had other plans for him, went home to be with him, and he's better off than we are, right? Amen. Yeah, we have to still bite the bullet here. But uh, 
And I don't know what he was going to preach on. They, they, one of the gals gave a little bit of shot there uh, at the memorial service, which she thought it was. And it might have been. I don't know. He told me the only thing that was he was uptight about is he'd have to do communion. <laughs> oh, okay. I said, I can I hear you there. But uh, he had a message. and uh, But he went home. And then, uh, of course, Pastor Dan, as we, we all know, he's on the other side of the states right now. So you had to put up with me. So, But I pray that the Lord did use me. And I pray that he's going to continue to use you every day. Okay, Diane? <laughs> 